0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. And if you're sticking in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles or right there in your uh, bulletin. First uh, King 's 19, and then we 're going to dive into second kings to see the, the ending of, of elijah 's time, at least for now on this earth. So um, as we 're transitioning here, our, so our elders over the last uh, couple of months have been, uh, have been reading this uh, fictional account. Uh, a fictional account of an elder, of a pastor who has kind of over the course of ministry lost his way. He'd lost the mission of the church, and at some point he started seeing himself as irreplaceable. Have you ever done that, kind of seen yourself as irreplaceable? Uh, That if God was going to do something, it was going to have to be through him because there wasn't nobody else doing it. And so in the book, he goes on this retreat where he's reminded of the mission, and he's reminded of the beautiful call of the gospel of grace. And at the retreat, he meets this lady named Eileen, who invites him to a very special meeting. A very special meeting for very special people like him. An invitation to meet the other irreplaceables. And so he went, of course, he went to the meeting, only to be puzzled when it turned out that the meeting was in a graveyard in a cemetery, Eileen said, somewhere along the way, you've made the assumption that you have become irreplaceable. I've got some news for you. Look around. Here are all the irreplaceables, six feet under. They all thought that no one could do their jobs as well as they could. They all considered themselves to be the key person in their families, in their churches, in their businesses. And although most of them, and Some of them, more than others, have felt a hole in many hearts as they passed away. You know, the world kept turning even after they they headed for celestial shores. Their churches continued their worship services. Their children mourned but moved on, and their places were taken by others. Don't you see that your days are like grass? Don't you see that this treasure you have is not in a cast iron bunker, but in a fragile jar of clay? I tell you, if you ever need perspective, few things give perspective better than a cemetery, right? It forces us to see that there's no such thing as someone who's irreplaceable. Not even people like the great prophet Elijah. You know, during our lifetime, we have the privilege, we have the the call to steward God's creation and to take part in the building of the kingdom. But it's not about us not about me it's not about any of you it's never been about us it's always about God he continues to be on the move if you remember from last week Elijah received some pretty humbling news there at the end that God had a plan but that plan included Elijah being put on the shelf Uh, it was God's will for the great irreplaceable Elijah to pass the baton to the next generation of leader now, y'all know this, succession can be clunky, can't it be? Uh, did any of y'all ever run track in high school? Uh, you know, the race is won and lost a lot of times in the, the passing of the baton, right? Doesn't matter how fast you are, if, you, if you're clunky with the baton, you're probably not going to win. And we all know people, don't we? Business leaders, we know politicians, we know farmers, we know pastors. who, let's be honest, should have passed the baton years ago, Right? Uh, but they think they're irreplaceable. They don't think the next generation can cut it. And so they're still out there waddling around the track, refusing to let go of the baton, oftentimes at the detriment of their organization. Well, um, we'd all do well to take a page from Elijah's story, right? Because maybe the greatest thing that you do for the kingdom maybe isn't something that you do, but it's in passing the baton or preparing the next generation And so this morning, we're leaving the mountains, uh, but before we get to uh, the lake, we're going to visit the lake next week. Before we get to the lake, um, we first got to stop by the farm. You know, we always got to check on the farm, right? Got to check on the farm. And there not only will we see the passing of a baton, but God will also remind us of the call. What does a called life look like? And so with that, let's continue our, our summer vacation this morning. Uh, with a trip to the farm. Uh, this is God's word, First Kings 19, then we'll go to Second Kings 2. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king of Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall appoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shapheth of Abel-Meholah you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death and the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him so Elijah departed from there and he found Elisha the son of Shapheth who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him and he was on the 12th Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him And Elisha left the the oxen and ran after Elijah. And uh, and Elisha said, Let me kiss my father and my mother and, and then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, Go back again for what have I done to you? And Elisha returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then Elisha rose And went after Elijah and assisted him. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion for your spirit on me. And Elijah said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And so they, and as they went still on talking, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes, tore them in two pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back, and stood on the bank of the Jordan. This is God's word. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but not God's word. No, God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Father, for this next little time, we ask that you, through your spirit, would come. Lord, that you would give us hearts to receive. Give us ears to hear. Lord, May make us attentive. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, as we begin, probably a pretty good idea just to know that, um, reminder, none of us are Elijah, none of us are Elisha. Uh, they had a very specific call from God to do a very specific thing. We don't have their call. Uh, and so this isn't like, hey, embrace your inner Elisha. Um, however, if we, if you are a follower of Christ, then you too have a call, a very specific call. Um, you, you have been called by God. And since that's the case, there's a lot of application for us this morning on what does it look like to be called by God? What does that look like for His people? And so with that, we're just going to walk through one thing. We're just going to walk through this passage thinking about one thing, uh, the call of God. What is, what is that? Um, so first, the call of God isn't always extravagant. You know, we hear these stories about how God has has called people, and it's just these extravagant, amazing calls. But it's not always like that. Notice how mundane and really sudden the call of God came to Elisha. It was just another day on the farm for him. He got up, he probably had breakfast. And just like many farmers, he had something to do that day. He had a field to plow. And it was something he'd done countless times before. It was probably something that Elisha thought he was going to do countless more times in his life. But on this mundane day, he's out in the field plowing, God's call came. Where were you where God's call came to you? You know, Elijah passed by him and just nonchalantly just kind of threw his cloak on him so as to say, you will be the prophet of God now. You know it's hard to read this. I mentioned we mentioned we're going to talk about African Bible College. It's hard to read this without thinking of Jack and Nell Chinchin, who uh, founders of the African Bible College. Who, if you remember, when he we had them here several years ago before Jack passed, uh, but he gave his testimony. Um, and He said that you know before there was Silicon Valley, uh, his family owned a massive fruit orchard in that valley, and uh, they were doing extremely well. Remember, he told us. I think his exact words were. The fruit business can make you rich, and they were rich. Um, They built their massive dream home right there on their orchard. It's this idyllic site, and yet it was there on that farm in his successful career that the call of God came suddenly. You know, it can come to you at work. It can come to you driving down the road. It can come to you in line in the grocery store. It can come in a worship service. It is mundane and sudden. Second, uh, did you notice Elisha's response? I'm probably going to get Elijah and Elisha confused, but y'all can kind of forgive me on that, right? You know, we're talking about Elisha, okay? Um, His response in receiving the call. Notice the response. Uh, Joy. The joy is, by the way, 100% countercultural. Our world could never understand it. This is a supernatural thing that happens. Because just look at his context. His context. We get the sense that Elisha, he's a pretty big farmer. I mean, 12 yoke of oxen, that's like 24 tractors. Uh, in a day where many farmers pull their own plow, if you can imagine that. I mean, how much land do you need to require 24 tractors? Uh, how, how much land do you got to have to have that many tractors? You know, Elisha's family had tons of land, tons of wealth. And then the author also notes that Elisha was driving the last team, that he was bringing up the rear as people were plowing, which means he was supervising and overseeing the whole operation. He had a prominent role on the farm. So he's the son of the landowner in line to inherit the whole thing. He has a future. He He has security. He has a place. But not only that, And y'all know how there there are certain times of the year where farmers can be a little more flexible. You know, they can maybe leave town, leave the farm for a little bit. This was not one of those times. Because if you remember, uh, there had been a drought for three years. Three years there had been little to no crop. But the rains had returned. Planting and harvest weather was in full swing, and so it's time to make hay while the sun's shining, right? It's, of all the years Elisha needed to stay on the farm, it was this one, and everybody knew that. But when Elijah threw his cloak on Elisha, in an instant, right, he, he, got, he got down from behind, the, or from behind the oxen, and he followed Elijah. And he said, let me go kiss my dad and my mom goodbye, and then I will follow you. And Elijah's response, remember from last week, he, Elijah is still an emotional, broken man. We, we see how he's processing all this. Elijah just said, look, go, for, for what have I done to you? In other words, well, look, what, what do I care if you go back? Well, I don't care. Just go back, say goodbye to him. Adam Jones said it's so ambivalent that it's almost like Elijah is saying, look, I, I don't care what you do. I will... I wasn't even going to pick you. Like God told me to pick you, okay? this is, you. Just take it up with God. I don't care what you do. And so Elisha, he went, and he, you know, he went to say goodbye to his family. But did you notice what else happened? He took the oxen that he was just plowing with. He, he sacrificed them. He just ripped into those two tractors. And he, uses, he used their yokes as firewood to cook up the feast. And think again. He's, he's a big farm. They got plenty of firewood, okay? He, he doesn't need to use the yokes to, to burn these or to cook this meat. And yet he did. Oh, why? Well, Elisha wasn't only leaving his family. He wasn't only leaving his career. He was also leaving his security. Um, he would not be using that yoke anymore. And so instead of sacrificing his soul... For his career, he gladly sacrificed his career, his future, his security for the joy of the calling. And what's so remarkable is no one in that community, no one in that community who knew that he needs to be farming. No one in that community said, You're crazy. You're leaving all this prosperity? You're you're leaving all that to go be a prophet? But no, in response to Elisha receiving the call of God, the people, like the entire village celebrate it with a steak dinner. Isn't that awesome? What if we had a steak dinner every time one of our members like, actually realized what God was calling them to do in life? That's pretty cool, wouldn't it? Why? Well, this cuts to the core of every human, everybody in here. You know, Elisha already had a really good life. Great life. Elisha had a good job. He had a way of providing for his family. But now, for the first time, he had meaning. He had purpose greater than himself. And again, Pastor Adam Jones said, you can have everything in life, prosperity, popularity, but if you don't have a call on your life, if you don't know why you're here, then you will be a shell of a person, and you won't know joy. It's been said that despair, uh, despair equals suffering minus Meaning. Uh, but it can also equal prosperity and achievement minus meaning. Despair is a lack of meaning in your life. So in his landmark book, Habits of the Heart, sociologist Robert Bella described, he, he said that there's three distinct orientations that we have towards kind of what we do with, in life, what we do and with work. He said the first orientation is to see your work as a job. It's just, it's just a paycheck. It, it pays the bills it's just a job. second orientation is then to see your work as a career, right? And here he says, climbing the proverbial ladder in search of status and wealth are central. Uh, and he argues much of America never gets beyond that, right? Um, that's likely what we're teaching our kids in school, to go achieve wealth, amass, climb the ladder. N- rarely get beyond that. But then he said there's a third orientation, an orientation found in people of faith, and it's that of calling. Calling. Calling is God-given, and it's that, that God-given purpose which makes us fully alive, fully alive. Like, talk about a reason for a steak dinner. And not all callings are the same. Uh, Frederick Buchner said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Wherever that meets, that's call. Or is what Paul said, Paul, remember he said that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which has been prepared beforehand for us to walk in them, which, of course, that verse means holiness. We we follow the Jesus way. But it also means that God has made you And he's gifted you with talents and burdens for the fallen world. When when those two things, when your talents and burdens for the fallen world collide and you see, this is what God has called me to do. This is how I can push back against the darkness. This is how I can build up the kingdom. When that happens, that is calling. Okay. When that happens, you have found joyful purpose. So John Mark Comer said, calling isn't something you choose. It's not something that you pick. It's like, like who you marry or what house you want to get. Or No, no, it, he says it's something unearthed. He said, you know, we usually ask little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? He says, I wonder if we're setting them up for failure with that question. Are we setting them up for wealth and prosperity but no purpose? No wonder depression rates are skyrocketing. Maybe a better question, he, he says, is, who are you? And what, did God, what do you think God made you to do when you grow up? It's a good question. You don't, you don't have to be a missionary. You don't, have to be, you don't have to be in vocational ministry. Kevin DeYoung says, let's don't over-spiritualize it. You can serve the Lord in thousands of jobs and thousands of ways, uh, even different ways throughout different stages of life. What is God calling you to right now? Steve Brown tells the story. <laughs> of King Henry III of Bavaria, who in the 11th century, he just decided he didn't want to be king anymore. He was tired of being the king. And so he applied to the local monastery asking to be accepted as what they called a contemplative, just to spend, really just to spend the rest of his life contemplating Scripture, contemplating God. Well, in the process, he had to apply to the monastery, and the leader of the monastery, I guess, got his application and said, Your Majesty, You do understand that the pledge for you to be here is a pledge of obedience, right? And I feel like that's going to be hard for you since you've been king. And King Henry III said, I understand that. The rest of my life, I will be obedient to you as the leader of the monastery, as Christ leads you. Well, the leader of the monastery said, okay, if you're going to do that, then I'll tell you what to do. I want you to go back to your throne And serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. And so we did. You know, if you feel lost, uh, if you lack joy, if you lack purpose, you feel like you're just getting by. Uh, Could it be that the siren call of this world has overpowered the call of God in your life? Uh, Could it be that, that you are plowing your field and you are working your farm, but it's all for you? Uh, this is a call to come back this morning and, and to hear the gospel call, to hear God's call in your life. It's joyous. It's joyous, okay? Don't miss out on that. But then finally, uh, we need to see also that the call of God is hard, <laughs> lest we forget. Uh, as, as we've already seen, you know, the call requires leaving something. Like it, it does demand some form of sacrifice, it's a change of allegiance. Elisha literally left his farm. He literally left his family. In the New Testament, when Jesus called his disciples, you know, they, were literally, like, they literally left their boats, they left their nets. Matthew left his tax booth and followed. It's, it's leaving our old life. Right? There's this myth out there that, that we can follow Jesus and then kind of do whatever the heck we want the rest of the week. But that's just not true. Like we we have to we have to follow the Jesus way away from our old ways towards the Savior, and, and and now Jesus doesn't call everybody to leave everything, right? He he might but he doesn't. But the call is a call to leave any idols, to leave sources of identity that we hold on to tighter than we do Jesus and so when all the world is telling us it's scary because when all the world is telling us to amass and to hoard and to climb the ladder it's extremely scary to follow Jesus with open hands saying what we all I think most of us confess this morning that I with body and soul both in life and death am not my own but I belong to my faithful savior Jesus Christ it's a scary thing to say Lord everything that I am everything that I have is yours have your way That is really, like, they don't teach you that when they teach you about retirement and 401ks, right? I mean, this is something that only those who have been given the gift of faith can possibly say. It's so scary that nothing but God's promises can pry our hands open. Remember Jesus, he said, Truly I say to you, there is none who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. You know, it's to live a life that sees in light of eternity, you know, maybe we are not missing out after all. So this is the context, this whole idea of of making sacrifices to follow the call that C.S. Lewis famously said, if we consider the staggering nature of rewards promised in the Gospels, If you've ever wrestled with God's call, and if you've ever thought that look that that might require my whole life being different, and, and again, real quick, this isn't saying that to be called of God you need to like leave your awesome career and go live in poverty. No, like God's call for you may very well be your career. Uh, it may very well, but but what are you doing in that career to push back the darkness to really build the kingdom? And so you wrestle with that, and you, and you think, sometimes you can think, I, I, that might require my whole life to be different. I don't know if I can cut it. I, I, I can't do it. I, I'm retired, or I'm just a youth. What am I supposed to do? Well, please know you're in good company. In fact, by the time Second Kings rolls around, Elisha was right there with you. He, he didn't know if he could cut it. And he was overwhelmed, thinking, Elijah, there's no way. There's no way that I can do all the stuff for the Lord that you've been doing. And the, the, this prophet stuff, like, it's, it's over my pay grade. And so Elisha asked Elijah for a, a double portion of his spirit, which is kind of biblical speak for like, look, whatever that's making you tick, I, I need that. And so Elijah said something really kind of odd. He said, you will get a double portion you will get the fire that has been burning in my bones, the hope to carry on if you see something. If you see something. Namely, if you see me <laughs> when I'm taken from you. Super weird. What's going on with that? Well, they, they walk down a little bit further, and we, we see the chariots of fire and, and horses come. These are, these are images of war and wrath, and then this whirlwind, you know, biblical for tornado comes this tornado of holiness and justice of God it comes and it just takes Elijah to heaven and after Elisha saw all that it notes that he tore his clothes and it humbled him because one he realized that that neither of them had been destroyed by God's wrath neither of them had died in the process and then two he realized that he had experienced the sheer grace of God and at that seeing grace Elisha got it, and by grace he got up, and by grace he took up the cloak, and by grace he followed God's call. Okay. In the same way, the only way we can ever have the power to follow God's call is by seeing and experiencing something, right? It's God's unmerited grace to us through Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, <laughs> we too get a double portion A double portion. You know, our New Testament reading this morning, Trey read for us. It ended with this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to close um, by reading how Martin Lloyd-Jones expounded that. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, If you are in Jesus, this is so great then Jesus doesn't merely ask God to overlook your sin or, or to kind of forget your sin. No, Jesus stands before the Father, as it were, to say, I am here to just remind you that the law has been fulfilled. The punishment has been enacted. They are free because I died for them. And Lloyd-Jones said, I say it with trembling, and yet I say it with confidence. And I'll say it, Westminster, friends, God would be unjust if he did not forgive your sin. He would be unjust. God's acceptance of you is now a matter of justice, not mercy, not grace, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ to you, it is a matter of justice. In Westminster, there is our double portion right there. On the cross, not only by by justice, Not only do we get God's forgiveness, but we also get Christ's righteousness. That is the gospel message. That is who you are in Christ. And that's the joy that compels us to answer the call of Jesus in our lives. Okay? Well, this morning is an invitation to do so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, Lord, that you you have a call on everyone who is yours. Uh, Lord, may you lay that on our hearts. May you you show us uh, how you've called us uh, to take part in the building up of the kingdom. Lord, what does that look like? Uh, What does it look like from Uh, cooking meals to um, just taking on a a ministry of encouragement to every time we see another brother or sister we want to leave them in a spiritually better place than we found them whatever it is Lord Lord, capture our heart for the call Uh, Lord we long for purpose give us the joy of meaning Lord we ask that that you would come and that you would bless every single person in here Uh, Lord that you would make us a church Uh, that just oozes grace that oozes the gospel uh, that strives to pursue holiness Uh, lord may it be so and we ask this in christ's name amen hi richard owens here i just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of westminster presbyterian church Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.